Okay, here we go. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham begot Isaac, and Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judas and his brethren. And Judas begot Phares, and Zara of Thamar, and Phares begot Esram, and Esram begot Aram, and Aram begot Aminadab, and Aminadab begot Nason, and Nason begot Salmon, and Salmon begot Boaz of Rechab, and Boaz begot Obed of Ruth, and Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot David the king. And David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Father, we ask you to bless the reading of your word. I pray that you'd fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord, to give this message as you have given it to me. And may it speak to our hearts. May it encourage us. And may we understand and know you more. May we love you more. Lord, I pray for the filling of your Holy Spirit. Help me to deliver this message. In Jesus' name I pray. And amen. You know that Christmas is the season of miracles. Even skeptics seem to agree that special things happen around Christmas time. Now this is not a modern phenomenon. God is the God of miracles. And all throughout the scriptures, we can clearly see God doing miraculous things. I think today we become so proficient at, uh, so programmed at doing church, so uh, formal, so structured, so mechanical, that sometimes we miss, we miss the Holy Spirit intervening. And what we really need today is the Holy Spirit to intervene. The miracles that happen in the Scriptures are nothing more than a visitation of the Holy Spirit. And we certainly need that. Today I want to share with you a very specific intervention. And uh, I want you to see this miraculous event and how that God can take your mess, whatever your mess is, and make it a miracle. Now this is just but an illustration of God taking one mess and turning it into a miracle. But when we come to Matthew chapter number 1... A lot of people get bogged down. They begin to read, so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so begot... And they get bored with that, and they, they just shut it out. Our minds wander, and we don't see this powerful truth in this message. Verse number 6, particularly, in particular, I should say, is the verse that I want to focus on. And Jesse begot David the king, and David the king begot Solomon of her that had been the wife of Urias. Now let me just say this. Let me give you a little bit of backdrop of what's going on. God had chosen David. He anointed him king over the nation of Israel. In that, God had made a promise to David that one of his ancestors would sit on the throne forever and ever and ever. That one of his ancestors would be great. He would be the Savior and he would rule and reign forever. Now one day, David's army was out to battle. And David should have been with his army. However, he 
was up on the rooftop, and in that day, called the city of David, he could look out across, and he could see all the other rooftops, and there was Bathsheba. She was on her roof bathing, and David sees her, and rather than turning and doing the right thing, he begins to look at her, he begins to lust after her, and before long, he sends his servant to get her, he brings her to his palace, he uh, immorally has a relationship with her, and he commits sin, and as a result, she becomes pregnant. Now David, being the king and the one who's going to fix everything, he devises a plan. And he sends for her husband, Uriah, who was off in the battle, and he asked Uriah to come home. Uriah was an honest man. David figured that he would come home and he would want to be with his wife, having been out in the field in battle. And uh, he could say that it was his child, everything would be swept under the rug, and no one would know, but God knew. God knew. Uriah comes home. He was more honorable than David in this. And he wouldn't go in to his wife. He said, how can I go in there? And so David told him here, listen, go in, be with your wife. I'm giving you permission and all such as that. But Uriah, still an honorable man, he slept on the threshold and refused to go in and be with his wife. So uh, David has a problem. What is he going to do? Well, he devises a plan, part B of the plan, I should say, where he sends Uriah to the front of the battle. Therefore, he would be killed, and then David would take and marry Bathsheba. Uh, Uriah was killed. He did marry Bathsheba, and everything was great. Until one day, the prophet Nathan comes to David, and he confronts David over his sin. And he tells a story, and I won't go into the story, but basically the the prophet points his bony finger in David's face and says, You are the man. Now at this point, I know you're wondering, what does this have to do with Christmas and a miracle of Christmas? Well, just hang with me for a few moments. You'll see the connection. If you would take time and read Psalm 51, you would see that after David was confronted by the prophet, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit came upon him, David was repentant. He was very repentant. According to Psalm 51, he was extremely repentant. And he wondered, I'm sure, if you read that psalm, there's a connotation there, can God ever fix this mess I've made? Will God honor His promise that through through my lineage would come the eternal King... Would God still be able to use me? You know, I am told that Christmas time, there are more suicides and deaths and depression at Christmas time than any time other in the year. I don't know that for a fact. But I think about this and I think that whatever mess you're in, that mess to you is extremely difficult. Whatever you're dealing with, and don't fall into the trap of comparing your pain and your suffering with someone else's pain and someone else's suffering. What they're going through. You you don't know what they're going through. And you don't know how they feel. You know how you feel in your trouble. And I can venture to say that most of us are a mess. Whether it be 
um, you know, family problems, the death of a loved one. There are many things, many things, financial difficulties, health problems. There's a lot of mess in this world. And we tend to think that by living in this world and ignoring our mess and maybe taking our attention and putting it on things and, and getting more things that we can overcome this mess we're in. David finds himself in a place of despair. If you read Psalm 51, you'll see it. And I know that he has to think that God must be finished with him. But he wasn't. He wasn't. One thing that David learned was God can take your mess and turn it into a miracle. Now I'd like to just show you what David experienced from his own words. If you would go with me to Psalm Psalm 103. If you'll find in your Bible there and turn, this will be a blessing to you. This is a psalm of David. And this hymn praises God. It's a psalm of praise. And I have to wonder if this came after he realized he had fallen and he realized that God wasn't finished with him and that God would take his mess and turn it into a miracle. For time's sake, go down to verse number 8 with me. Psalm 103 and verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will He keep His anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. David is basically saying, God is not giving us what we deserve, but He is giving us mercy and He is giving us grace. Because no matter how good you might think you are, we all fall short of God's glory. Verse number 11. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is His mercy toward them that fear Him. As far as the east is from the west... So far hath He removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear Him. For He knoweth our frame, He remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourisheth. David learned... The mercy of God. And what did he learn about the mercy of God? Well, first of all, he learned that the mercy of God is undeserved. You and I do not deserve the mercy of God. We do not. If we got what we deserve, we would be in hell. The Bible teaches that everyone has sinned. And I will tell you that humanity is bent towards doing wrong, not bent towards doing right. David learned that God's mercy is not only undeserved, but it's unmatched. It's unmatched. There is no one like our God. There is no mercy that has been extended like what our God has extended to us. The mercy of God is undeserved, but it's also unmatched. 
And lastly, it's unending. There is no end to His mercy. You see, the difference is God's mercy. We read in Romans uh, chapter 2, the Bible teaches us that it is the goodness of God that leadeth men to repentance. We in our churches like to focus on the judgment and we like to focus on works. And if you just do this, you'll be right with God. If you just do this, you'll be right with God. If you just do this, you'll be right with God. But let me tell you, you're only made right with God by faith. It's not about doing, but it's about what He has done. It's about Him extending His mercy to us. We go to Psalm 86, if you would please turn over there with me. David knew this. And in his psalm, this theme keeps reoccurring. Verse 15 of Psalm 86. But thou, O Lord, art a God of full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and truth. O turn unto me, and have mercy upon me. Give thy strength unto thy servant, and save the son of thy handmaid. Now, we know that as a result of the sin of David, Bathsheba conceived a child, and that child died. And I'm sure that in the grieving process, there was a lot of guilt and a lot of shame that David had to bear. But he experienced the mercy of God. And what was that mercy? You say, well, what's this have to do with Christmas? Here it is. The story doesn't end there. It has a, quite a remarkable ending. David and Bathsheba have another child, a son named Solomon. Solomon, who was perhaps one of the wisest men that ever lived, and also through Solomon, David to Solomon, was the lineage of the Lord Jesus Christ passed down. David and Bathsheba, when they got together, it was an immoral situation. It was sin. It was wrong. And after they had confessed, after David confessed his sin, after David confronted his sin, after David came before the Lord and he poured out his heart, God gave him mercy and they conceived, they married, they conceived Solomon and Solomon kept the lineage of Jesus Christ going. That's the connection to Christmas. That's the miracle in the story. God took the mess of David and turned it into a miracle. David had other sons. Why not one of the other sons? But God chose Solomon. God used one of the most unwise decisions to deliver one of the wisest men. Now, I'm in no way condoning condoning sin. I'm in no way making light of the sin and saying that God will do this every time. I'm just telling you that we have lost our awe of God. We have lost our sense 
of God doing the miraculous. We have given up on that. We have uh, forsaken His mercy for our works, thinking that if we can barter with God, He'll meet our, our, our prayers and our requests. And if we can do this for God, and if we're just faithful enough for this, then He'll give us mercy. No, God gives us mercy because God is good. Psalm 136. His mercy endureth forever, forever and ever. He continually repeats it. His mercy endures forever. In these times we're dealing with a lot. We need to let the Holy Spirit fill us and let, uh, let Him bring us to the point of mercy with God and see that God will take our mess in His mercy and make a miracle out of that mess. How do we do this? How do we do this? How do we prepare so that God can take us from a place of mess to a place of miracle? Well, I think there's five things. Number one, I think we should confront our mess. We need to own our mess. We are in a state today where there's no accountability. Nobody is guilty for what he or she does. We're in a place where we want it's always someone else's fault. And that's wrong. That's wrong. You will never, your mess will never be made a miracle until you confront your mess. Head on, face to face, confrontation. Own your mess. Not only should we confront it, but number two, we should confess it. When we confront our mess, when God shows us and we confront it and we come clean and we say, God, this is a mess and I'm giving it to you. Confession is not simply laying down on your bed at night and saying, God, forgive me for every sin I did today. That's not confession. True confession is, God, I've done this. I've sinned. God, my life is a mess because of my own doing and I've confronted it and now I'm confessing it to you. I've accepted that I've made my life a mess and I'm coming to you and I'm confessing it to you. The third thing you have to do is you have to change your mind. You have to see it as a mess and turn away from that mess. I don't want to be in this condition any longer. I am going to repent. Repentance is a change of mind that affects my whole body, my character. It changes everything. I change my mind. I see this mess for what it is. And I come to God and I receive His mercy. And I plead with Him to remove it from me. And I change my mind to it. I change my mind to it. I don't want to participate in it any longer. I see this mess as a sin. How many times, just for a, a not really a strong illustration, but a true illustration, how many times in our lives have we started diets and stopped? We started and stopped, and we started and stopped, and here in so many days we'll have a new year, and people will make New Year's resolutions, and they're going to do this and that and the other. Listen, people won't change until they get sick and tired of being the way they are. And when you confront that mess, and you're sick and tired of the way you are, and you want to change, you change your mind, you see the mess as God sees it, an opportunity to turn to Him and receive yet again His mercy. It's called repentance. Repentance is not just a one-time thing you do when you get saved. Repentance is 
a continual, continually in the life of the believer, when God shows us our sin, we confess it so we have forgiveness and cleansing. We repent of it so we don't repeat it. A lot of people might confess their sin, but they don't repent of it. That's why you continually do it over and over and over. Yeah, you're sorry, but repentance is not just sorry. The Bible says godly sorrow worketh repentance. Godly sorrow. So repentance is, uh, you know, I'm confessed that now I'm changing my mind so I don't continually do it. The fourth thing is consecrate yourself. Set yourself aside for Christ. If you would allow me just for a moment to turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. And this is the psalm that David uh, had prayed or he may have even sung it to the Lord after he was confronted by Nathan. Psalm 51, verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. It's interesting. David understood this. What he needed most was mercy. What he needed most was mercy. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sins. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts and the hidden part, that thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins, and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in with me, within me. Cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Do you see how David has changed his mind? He is saying, Lord, everything that's holy and good and righteous is you. Everything that's wicked and wrong is me. And the only way to rectify that is that I have your mercy. And when your mercy comes, it's going to change me. It's going to create a clean heart in me. It's going to renew a right spirit in me. And then, 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 then will I understand and know. And then can I lead others to know you. And then can I minister for you. I will consecrate myself to this end, Lord. That's David. It's interesting. Number five is contemplate the mercy and goodness of God. You know that we, as especially Americans, we no longer think anymore. When I was growing up, my dad used to tell me all the time, son, you don't think. How many of us have heard? Use your head for something other than a hat rack. We've all probably been told that. But let me tell you something. I'm telling you, we as Christians, we never contemplate, we never meditate on the goodness of God. And if there's one thing that's going to take us from a mess and make it a miracle, it is the merciful God and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
God is merciful. David said He is a compassionate God, gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy. Turn to Him today and receive that mercy. Whatever your mess is, confront it, own it, confess it, confess it, and then change it, repent. And after you've changed it and repented of it, don't just stop there. Continue down the road. Contemplate on the goodness of God. Consecrate yourself to live for God. It's amazing to me that if you would go back to Matthew and you would read the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, if you would read those verses, the only one that I am familiar with in this that would have any kind of situation like this is David and Bathsheba. And the miracle in this text is this, that God could take a mess of sin, that God could take a mess and He could intervene and He could change that mess to a miracle. That gives me hope. Because just like you, my life is a mess too. And what we need this Christmas season is a miracle. I've decided these few Christmas messages I have that, Lord willing, I'll be able to deal with this in a way that perhaps this could be the best Christmas ever. Wouldn't it be something to look back on 2020 and all that's happened, all that we've gone through, and all that everyone has experienced in the pain and the heartache to be able to say, you know, this is the best Christmas I ever had. It can happen if we turn to God and let God take our mess and make it a miracle. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, your life's a mess. You might have a good job. You might have a nice home. Your family might be in order. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior you're not on your way to heaven. If something were to happen to you today and you were to die, your soul would go to hell. And you would have to spend an eternity in hell separated from God where the Bible says that the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. It's a literal place. It wasn't created for humans. It was created for the devil and his angels. But God who is rich in mercy. But God loved you so much and He loved me and He loved everyone in this world so much. That while we were still sinners, He knew every sin that you and I would commit. And He still was willing to die for us on the cross. And He went to the cross and He died a horrible death. And they took Him off the cross and they buried Him in a borrowed tomb. And then three days later, He arose from the grave. And by the same power, if you will turn to Him and believe that Jesus died for you and He paid your sin debt, and you will call upon Him and ask Him to be your Lord and Savior, if you will believe in Him, that's what it means to believe in Him, to trust Him, that He will take you to heaven, and He alone will take you to heaven, you'll be saved. I'd like to help you. I'd like to lead you in a prayer. And saying the words is not what saves you. What saves you is that you believe, number one, that Jesus is the Son of God. Number two, you believe that you're a sinner and you deserve to die. But you believe that Jesus died in your place. 
And He was buried and He arose from the grave. And by that same power, by your believing in Him, He will save you and give you eternal life. You can pray like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I realize I'm a sinner. And because of my sin, I deserve to die. But I believe you died in my place. And right now, the best way I know how, I want you to come into my life. I want you to forgive me of my sins. I want you to save me. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Lord, I'm trusting in you and you alone to take me to heaven.